You know, there's so many of these like stereotypes that we are born with and that we we grow up with, mm-hmm. um, and we we believe them. We're like, yeah, no, I'm a tuba player. I can't play those notes. I can't play that high. I can't uh, play that fast because uh-huh. that's what everyone tells you. Um, or you know, it's even like going as far as like. And obviously it's a little better now, but like women in like, you know, the engineering, the science, the maths, they're, right, yeah. you know, told you don't do that. Yeah. Women that's don't the have the brain for yeah. it. Yeah. And so that's how they grow up thinking that. And I think that's like a big problem in our society is all these negative stereotypes and things that we just, we learn and we teach our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they grow up believing in those limitations, even though there's really aren't those limitations. Hello and welcome to Tomversations. That's T H O M Versations, where the H makes all the difference. How the H are you? How are you doing today? Wow, what is going on? You know, I thought things were weird last time we spoke, but it's just gotten a bit weirder. People are trying to get back to normal. There is no normal to get back to. We'll get, have more to that. But today we're going to be talking to Ben Price. And Ben is now a master of tuba, of the tuba, a master of the tuba. Um, and we'll talk a bit about passion, and uh, not not that kind of passion. We're talking about passion for something, you know, like I've got a passion for communication, and so you know, I do this podcast. I I'm on the radio. I do a Facebook Live thing, by the way, Monday through Friday. Come on over to uh, Facebook, uh, say hi, become friends. That's T H O M. K-O-K-E-N-G-E, Tom Cocaine, and on Facebook, Facebook Live. It's kind of fun. It's called The Coffee with Tom. I think you should like it. I think I think you should. Yeah, let me demand it. I think you should like it. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking to, to Ben today. But, you know, this whole coronavirus thing, it kind of really makes you think about what's going on in life, right? Kind of makes you take a double take because, like I said, what we thought was going on, what is going on, what we thought we might get back to normal. There is that normal no longer. And things are just getting weird. You know, I have a a friend of mine, and we were talking about how this coronavirus thing, how things have changed, what's going on in the world. And he said, you know, you have to tune your expectations to something else. Prepare and change your expectations. That's a pretty wise thing to say for a friend. I'm very happy to have a friend this wise. We're going to say it again. Tune your expectations to something else. Prepare and change your expectations. So that's what I'm working on. I'm working on preparing to change my expectations. What I thought was going on before is no longer expected. Change your expectations. And that's not a bad thing. Just have to move it. Just move your expectations a little bit. Change that focus just slightly. And uh, realize there's a new reality. If that makes any sense. It's still the same reality, but it's different. It's different. So, uh, you know, I also want to thank the Moscow Brewing Company. Um, they are a sponsor of this podcast. And they've been doing it for quite a while. And, uh, you know, they're committed to creating some of the best beer. Aaron over there is just pumping out beer. Go there and get yourself some beer to go. We've got beer to go. Breweries are a uh, 
essential business, definitely. Um, but you know, I we and I'm just going to say this that we kind of talked about. We didn't kind of. We did talk about him, uh, uh, Moscow Brewing Company, um, sponsoring the podcast. And that was before the pandemic, right? Things have changed. But I'm going to continue promoting their product. They've stood beside me, you know, um, and I'm just going to keep giving them um, some space here during this podcast because they, they make good products. They're a good company. They're ethical. You know, they, not only that, but their, their products are made from um, ingredients found right here in the Northwest. You know, grains and hops and whatever else they're going to put in their beer, you know. Stop in, you know, and tell Aaron that uh, Tom said hi. You know, they've got a great selection. Last time I went there, I just said, okay, what do you have on tap? Okay, I'll take a crowler at each one of those. Crowler's like, you know, I don't even know what size it is. 32-ounce can, I think. Just give me one each. And then they, then you stop by, and they're ready to go. Put them in your trunk if you want. Easy. Okay. So thank you, Moscow Brewing Company. And uh, thank you for listening today. Let's get to it. Let's uh, talk to Ben Price about tuba. I think you're going to like it. Okay, Mr. Price. Do you, uh, do you feel comfortable introducing yourself? Uh, yeah, I go, do. Go for it, dude. Right. Yeah, Who well, are you? <laughs> uh, my name is Ben Price. I'm a uh, second-year grad student here at the University of Idaho, getting my master's in uh, orchestral tuba performance. Wow. I mean, I just, I've won orchestral performance is way out of just like my brain, <laughs> right? And then you're going with the tuba. Yes. So the way we kind of, we way we met is you work at Moscow Brewing Yes, Company. I do. And... Um, uh, so we were just sitting there chatting. I'm at the bar, just uh, drinking a beer and chatting to you. And you just were like really passionate about the tuba. I'm like, dude, come on in, <laughs> come in, talk about the tuba. And um, it's not something to hear about often. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was telling a friend of mine. He's like, you have a podcast about tubas. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Ben is really passionate about this. We're, you know, um, so. So, dude, why the tuba? Where did you get? How did you get started in the tuba? Why the tuba? What's up with the tuba? Tuba, tuba, tuba. <laughs> so, um, I kind of always like gravitated towards music. I honestly don't know where I got it from. My my family's not musical at all. Yeah. My dad played a little bit of like trumpet in high school, but that was about it. He claims to be able to play piano, and he can like barely plunk out "Happy Birthday" with one <laughs> finger. Um, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, like, it's something, but, like, we have a piano in our house and all that. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom was really big on, I have two older sisters, mm-hmm. um, and she made us all take piano lessons right when we were really young, so in about kindergarten, preschool, kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, just to try it, because she made us basically try everything at least once. Uh, I was the only one that really continued with that. And then around the third grade, um, there was a guitar class that started up at my elementary school, and so... I decided to stop doing piano lessons and do guitar. And this, how old were you there? Uh, so third grade. Like, like so nine? like, I don't know how old that is. Uh, third grade. What is? Uh, yeah, yeah, like nine, ten, maybe on there. Yeah, right around somewhere around okay. there. Okay, the regular size guitars. Do you remember? Uh, so we started on like half guitars. Okay. They kind of got like they were four string, basically ukuleles, oh, but okay. to like a guitar. But uh, and then I. I excelled pretty quickly in that class and pretty soon was playing my teacher's full-size guitar, which was way too big for me. Um, I was like 
less than three feet. I was the smallest little kid, shortest kid in all of my, my entire class, oh. pretty much all growing up Yeah. Um, until high school when I kind of grew a little bit. <laughs> but even like right now at five, six, I'm like the tallest one in my family. Interesting. <laughs> um, but anyway, so my two older sisters, uh, we still had our trumpet from my dad's playing in high school. So when they got old enough in sixth grade to join the band program, they played trumpet and joined that. And since they wanted to do it, um, and since they did it, I wanted to do it. Yeah. And my parents always actually had a joke that when I grew up, I'd play the tuba because I was so small. They were thinking of the sousaphone <laughs> that wraps around you. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, you'll grow up, play the tuba. They'll have to carry you around in the little red wagon. <laughs> you won't be big enough to play the tuba. So naturally, when I got old enough in sixth grade, uh, I started on trumpet because that's what we had. And then within the first day of class, our director was like, oh, we have too many trumpets because everyone wanted to play like trumpet, saxophone, saxophone, flute, and like percussion. Yeah. Sure. There's like well, nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> trumpet and saxophone are kind of sexy. You yeah. Know, right. You know. And so he was like, we need someone on no brass. Does anyone want to switch to baritone? And I was like, yeah, I'll switch to baritone. Why not? Baritone what? Uh, it's a baritone horn. So oh. it's like the euphonium. Oh. Uh-huh. But it's basically... Um, it's cylindrical versus conical. Oh. You know what that means? Yeah. I, well, I, well why don't you explain so, to what it is, though? I mean, we have people uh, listening, so so when you yeah. say cylindrical versus conical... Cylindrical, basically, it's the length of tubing stays the same throughout the entire horn, and then kind of flares out at the bell, um, while the uh, conical or starts off small and then gr- slowly grows bigger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, it just affects the timbre of the instrument a little differently, but they play the same way. But baritone is typically what you start off younger kids with, um, just because that's just cheap. It's cheap, really, yeah, well, is what it is. Well, and smaller, I assume. Uh, they're about the same size as a euphonium. Hmm. Um, they're just inexpensive. And okay. so they're, they're just like the most available for student horns. But anyway, so I, I played baritone for a couple days. And then one day I was uh, packing away my baritone. I saw this gigantic case in the back corner of the room. It was bigger than me. I'm like, oh man, like, what is this? This is so huge. <laughs> and our director was like, oh, it's a tuba. So I immediately thought of the joke. It's like, well, they said I was going to play it. Like, I have to bring it home at least to try it. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, you need to learn how to play baritone first. So I was like, fine, I'll play the baritone. And so we were, we were playing through these Accent on Achievement books, is what they're called, which is like the beginning book for bands that a lot mm. of people use. They just have like a bunch of little tiny solos, like hot cross buns and things like that. Um, and so I took home that book and I went through the entire book in less than a week. And so while we were Dude, doing. Dude, you're dedicated. <laughs> it was. I was, yeah, I was pretty. When, when someone tells me I can't do something, uh, I'm like, watch me. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of my attitude in a lot of yeah. things. Um, and so while we did our first playing test and everyone was still barely playing hot cross buns and I was like, I'm going to play something different. And I pulled out to the back of the book playing, uh, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. If you know that old song. I have no idea. Maybe Uh, people who play music here, but. uh, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree, eating all the gum drops that he can see. I don't remember the rest of the words. But like, you know, more advanced than hot cross bones, hot cross bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my director, after that, he's like, fine, you can play the tuba. (laughs) Yes. And I took this giant (laughs) instrument and threw it over my shoulder and 
tried to walk onto the bus and the bus driver was not happy about that. <laughs> um, brought it home and was like, Hey, remember how you said I'd play tuba? Look at me now. Yeah. And then from there, it was just kind of, that's just where it started. Just kind of love at first sight, you know? Wow. Um, and it was an instrument started that off as a joke. it started off as a joke. And, and then I just are. continued to play it and I started to fall more and more in love with it every time I touched it and played and, you know, it's one of those instruments that you don't think about often, but it really is like the fundamental of any sort of band, any sort of group, that low sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are the foundation. Um, and without you, like, you know, the rest of the band has nothing to stand on. And I kind of liked that idea as well. Um, I've also been just kind of in general, I like to be on the like the back side of things. I don't like to necessarily be out in the forefront, you know, mm-hmm. the main mm-hmm. star of the show. Mm-hmm. Um like to kind of be behind the scenes running things. Um, and that's really what the tuba is, is it's just, it's such a key instrument in any sort of ensemble, but um, people just don't think about it. Yeah. But when you don't have it, you, you notice it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a, I wonder if it's the same thing as like, uh, you know, in bands, it's the bass guitarist, that person, yeah. the, the fundamental people may not know. They think it's the drummer keeping mm-hmm. time. Nope, it's the it's, bass player. It, yep, it's Drummers the bass. are not good at keeping no. time. <laughs> no, they are not. This, this, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> now, some drummers will argue, and that's fine. But uh, but generally, you pay attention to the bass mm-hmm. player. Bass player. Jazz groups, rock and roll, whatever. It's the bass player. Yeah. So that's kind of the similar thing in, in orchestral music. Yeah. Similar with that. And then, as well as tuning. Um, we always say, like, tune tune down. So, you know, if, you're, if your tuba player is not in time or they're not in tune... The rest of the band's get band's just gonna sound terrible. Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> and so it's just this such this like this key instrument that just nobody thinks about. And I just I know I really like that idea. And it wasn't really until um, about middle of high school when I started getting I kind of dropped a bunch of the sports that I was doing because I used to be really big into um, like I was a gymnast for almost seventeen years. You were a gymnast yeah, for was, 17? Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, damn. We should have a lease in here. But she's, yeah. <laughs> she's off oh, hiking the Moscow Mountain this morning. Oh, that sounds dude, you were, you were a male gymnast? Yeah. I, wow. wow, dude. I've done a lot of done a lot of weird things. It's weird okay. things for other people when I say it. And for me, it's like, yeah, it's normal. Yeah. Um, I think gymnasts are normal. I mean, I yeah. married a gymnast, so. Yeah. my So my mom used to, um, she used to be a gymnast back growing up. And then uh, when we moved to Maple Valley, Washington, over on the west side where I'm from, um, she ended up getting a job at uh, the local gymnastics center as a coach um, right around the time I was like two and a half, three-ish. And oh. so instead of putting me into like daycare, she just put me into classes Yeah, to get out all my energy. Sure. And so I did gymnastics all the way from like two and a half up until I graduated high school. Dude. Um, I didn't compete for all that long. Um, I competed up until about junior high-ish. Um, so about eighth, ninth grade. And then from there, I just, I continued to do it just more on the recreational side, just mm-hmm. for fun. Mm-hmm. But I also like, uh, they had a circus program as well at that gym. So I was in the circus for about seven years ish doing wow. so like juggling unicycle, you know, rope tissue, uh, trapeze, like. Wow, dude, really? <laughs> and now, do you do anything like that here? There's a gymnast, there, there's a gymnasium or gymnast program or whatever. Yeah, there is. The issue with that is um, 
insurance purposes that like, so for the gym that I grew up in, we couldn't have anybody over the age of 18 because insurance just kind of went through the roof if anything uh, happened. Uh-huh. So a lot of gyms don't really let people older than that work out. I mean, I could still coach if I wanted to. I know the, the guy at the gym, I can't remember his name at the top of my head right Mark. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes in the brewery quite a bit too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's been trying to get me to yeah. come back and coach because they're looking for some. Yeah. yeah. It seems like that's always a constant, it seems. Because I coached it for four years too. So, but yeah. Um, so I did that and I'd like had done a bunch of wrestling and I was a state level diver as like a sophomore in high school. For the swim and dive team as well. Dude, yeah, with that athletics, you could really, mm-hmm. you know, you could flip and twist and turn and know where your feet are at any yeah. point. Yeah, that's really important. But I kind of reached a point around my junior year where I was like, you know, do I either pursue music or do I pursue more athletics? And like, I had always gotten bored with sports. Like, I have a short attention span for that. Hmm. Um, I would only do things for like a couple years and then even if I was really good at it, I'd just be like, man, I'm bored. I yeah. want to do something else. <laughs> yeah. But music I never got bored with. And so I was like, you know what? I want to do this. So I started like auditioning for some honor bands in high school. And What's um, an honor band? So an honor band is... So the main one that I went to is called WIVIC, which is the Western International Band Clinic. Hmm. And it's basically... Um, it's an ensemble made up of a bunch of different uh, high school, sometimes like even junior high level people will audition for it. Um and you audition, they throw you into a group based off of your audition, so how high of a level you are. Um, and you go to, uh, I can't remember the hotel. There was a big hotel in, uh, just outside of Seattle that we went to um, and used like their main ballrooms. And you stayed in that hotel for like three, four days and just worked with basically all these incredible high school level musicians that were you know, passionate about it and trying to get better. Um, and then we, a bunch of like guest artists and composers, conductors would come in, work with you. You'd play a bunch of music and then you'd do a big concert with whoever the guest soloist was. So, um, my first year, our guest soloist was Alan Vasuti. Hmm. You know who he is? He's a a ridiculous trumpet player. Like one of the best trumpet players there is. Um, he came and was just soloist playing. Um, we got to play Napoli with him. Which uh, the main tune of that is okay, yeah. if you ever heard that. Yeah. It's a pretty it's famous me, solo. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, play he plays that and he's whenever he plays his trumpet, he's basically just like it's so easy for him. Mm-hmm. He just kinda kinda messes around. So he'll take his trumpet and he'll just start like turning it. Like playing upside down. Yeah. And like yeah. he like throws his trumpet at one point to catch it to then play again. You're like what? what but um so we got to play with him and being in that kind of honor band environment um hearing all the other players at that time made me realize ooh, i'm actually not that great at this (laughs) 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 you know i was the only tuba player growing up in our school district and so i never had myself never had anyone to compare myself to oh right um and much like a lot of other young you you always have first chair yeah (laughs) (laughs) just kind of nice yeah um but much like a a bunch of other, uh, even now young students, um, I never thought to look up like tuba solos or anything like that. I never thought to look up other tuba players to listen to them. So I had never really listened to other tubas. I had just kind of played and was like, wow, I'm making sound. I think this is right. Mm-hmm. And my directors were like, yeah, you know, play big, play low. And I was like, 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then getting into this, the honor band situation with people who had like done lessons before and were better, way better than me. It's like, ooh, yikes, I need to <laughs> actually figure this out. Uh-huh. Um, That's good, though. You yeah, that's kind of a wake up call and, yeah, and comparison. So, and so I really just like took that to heart and figured out like, all right, you know, what do I need to do to get better to sound like this? And um, continue to do other audition uh, bass bands and mm-hmm. things like that through high school until um, eventually I uh, started taking lessons, finally my senior year, which was great. And I encourage any young musician needs to take lessons, especially in like the band, orchestral band programs. Like, man, take a lesson before you go off to college or something. Cause <laughs> especially with uh, with tuba, the... The level from like high school playing to college playing is so drastically different. Really? Um, because, oh yeah, because you actually yeah yeah go like, on. We actually get melodies and we actually get like moving lines and you know in most high school band music the tuba barely plays quarter notes. It's like half notes and whole notes. Oh, so it's nothing crazy. And then you get into solos and they're like, great, now like play all these sixteen thirty seconds and you're like. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> My fingers like, don't move that right? fast, I man. I barely know what an eighth note is. Yeah. Like, um, and yeah. so I was, I took lessons and uh, he had me start playing some solos. And they were like terrible at them. I was like, I can't, I don't know how to play this fast. I don't play melodies. Mm. Um, but I got into uh, the, I did the Northwest Solo Ensemble Contest for Washington's Northwest Solo Ensemble Contest. Um and ended up making it to state my senior year as well. Um, senior in college? Uh, in high school, in, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just like, just made me realize, like, this is what I want to do. Especially getting into, once I get into like solos and actual real music, it's like, man, this is way more fun yeah. <laughs> than just playing the, the oompas in the background, <laughs> as we like to say. Yeah, right. Huh. Yeah, and uh, so you know, we were talking too that uh, the the uh, the tuba is like one of the youngest brass instruments. Yeah. Now, when did it actually begin? When did it make its a first appearance? So the first tuba was invented in uh, 1835. 1835. Okay, I, yeah, I was telling people it's like 1900s, but okay, I was wrong. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, just yeah, right, yeah, 35, 34, somewhere around there. Um, and then, but before that, like you had the two main predecessors to the tuba were the Ophiclide, which the Ophiclide is, um, I was in, uh, 1817 and it was more similar to a saxophone. Um, so it basically looked like a, a baritone saxophone, but then you had a tuba mouthpiece onto it. Huh. Okay. And so it was keyed rather than valves because valves hadn't been invented yet. Uh huh. And then before that was the, the church serpent. And that was a long wooden tube that just kind of serpentined out and had six finger holes. Um, and it was primarily used for like men's choirs. Dirges, maybe. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, it didn't resonate very well. So if you used it in like large ensembles, you had to have like three or four of them just to hear them. <laughs> oh. Huh. And then with the Ophiclide, since it was more brass, it actually resonated. Um, and with the keys, it was able to be a lot more virtuosic. But the limit with the Ophiclide was, um, so basically with instruments like the, um, look brass instruments, um, your fundamental pitch is based off of basically the length of tubing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of works on the overtone series, um, which is basically where 
uh, basically easiest way to explain it. Like if you start on a, say a low a, so like below middle C, which would be like a 110 Hertz. Pretty low. Yeah. Um, if you have that full wavelength, the next overtone series would be two of those in the one full one. So half. So that'd be 220. Um, and then it goes up from there to 330 to 440 and so on. Just kind of getting smaller from, you know, one to two ratio, one to three, one to four, one to five, one to six. Um, and those are basically all the pitches you can play without having to touch any of your valves hmm. or keys mm-hmm. just by using your embouchure to basically tighten it um, and increase your, your wind as you're playing. Uh, but because the Ophiclide... It basically was at a set length of tubing. You could only shorten it. Huh. So the low range was very bad. <laughs> like, you, you know, you could only go so low. And then in uh, 1835, when they started inventing the valves, what the valves do on a brass instrument is they extend the length of tubing. So it allowed the tuba to go a lot lower, which opened up this whole broad new spectrum for composers of like an entirely new range that they could write for. Um, and so you see it a lot, uh, like for instance, so Hector Berlioz, um, who is a, uh, he wrote for the Ophiclide primarily when he mm. was, um, around. And so if you look at a lot of his works, they're way up in the high tessitura for the instrument nowadays. Tessitura? Yeah. What is a tessitura? Is it, uh, I, so I think they like, talk about that in, uh, um, the, uh. Oh, Avengers movie. Yeah. <laughs> the Tesseract? Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically just the high range of the instrument. Okay. So um, for us, for like tubas, it's above the staff um, in bass clef. Oh, really? Typically, we oh. don't play all much. Of, we're typically like in the staff or below. We don't play too very high too often. Um, but a lot of all the music from before the tuba was invented was all way up there in this high range. And then as soon as the tuba was invented, you just see all these composers do the exact opposite. And now they're in like extreme pedal ranges. So if you look like Wagner's, like Ride of the Valkyries is, um, if you know bass clef at all, uh, you have the C below, below the staff. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is two octaves below middle C. He was writing for things for like the F and the D's below that. FDEs all there for your your famous buddy. Yeah. And so all this music now is just extreme low ends. and (laughs) (laughs) Which is just, it's funny how, yeah. You got to play with it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, but yeah, so yeah, 35 it came out, but, um, you know, we didn't have, we talked about this a little bit. We didn't have solo music for, you know, over a hundred years. Oh, oh, that's really? what it was. That's yeah. where I get the confusion. Yeah, so the, so, the solo music came out in uh, like then nineteen thirty uh, something. Fifty four was oh, the oh. first. Um, uh. There was at least the first concerto written for tuba. Um, there's arguments that there was other like just solo works written before then, but really the first main one that we know of is the Von Williams tuba concerto, um, and because before that, basically we were. Tubas were just stealing music from other instruments, mm-hmm. um, but nobody had actually written something directly for the tuba. And the tuba had never been kind of that main solo instrument in front of an orchestra um, until Von Williams wrote uh, the, his concerto for um, Philip Cantillonet, who was from the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, 
and it's really there's an account on the ITEA Journal, which stands for the International Tubi Phoneme Association. Mm. Um, this is a big, obviously a huge group of us, and um, we have these journals that come out like monthly with people writing articles about different pedagogy and experiences and things like that. And way back then, in um, when it was a little bit after it was performed, he wrote an article um, describing his experience with it because he was the first tubas to ever play a concerto in front of an orchestra. Yeah. Um, and Philip Cantillonette was a, so he was a uh, kind of a military musician. Um, he was known to be able to just play any brass instrument, hmm. but his primary instrument was actually the piano. Um, and so when he got out of the military and was getting his reassignments, um, they told him they were going to use him for his music and his musicianship. And he's like, great, like, I'll get to go like play piano somewhere, like do this. And they're like, you play tuba, right? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, what? Like you said, you can play any brass instrument, right? Like, oh, I, I guess if that's what's going to get me a job. So he got his hands on an old tuba and practice it and got the, the position at the London symphony orchestra. Um, and, but then, so then, so, but you know, he didn't really want to play it, but he no, was no he, slouch at it. I yeah. mean, to get, to play for the London symphony right. orchestra, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely was not intending to play tuba ever. <laughs> I think he played like the marching, like sousaphone a little bit in the military bands, but you know, was, he was hoping to do piano or something else, but mm-hmm. he's like, well, this is the job. This is what they're assigning me to. So yeah. it's either this or I'm kind of out of luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so in this account though, uh, it's really funny. So he was also a composer as well. He wrote a lot of music. Um, but he talks about when the, basically the organizer for the London Symphony Orchestra gave him a call. It was like, Hey, like we got some very exciting news. Like Vaughn Williams wrote a concerto and he wants you to play it at our upcoming concert. He goes, I don't play solos. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like the tuba's not, shouldn't be in front of the orchestra. Um, and he was just so like, baffled that someone would even write something for that. Yeah. Even though he was a tubist himself and a composer. He's like, this is ridiculous. The tuba can't do this. The tuba shouldn't be there. Wow. Um, and he talks about like playing through the piece and like he was, how much he was struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just something that he'd never done before. Even though a lot of orchestral work is very virtuosic in nature for us, you just don't hear it. Cause we blend in with like your trombones instead. Um, and so we don't typically get like the solo spotlight, but yeah, like he, he didn't want to play it. He thought he was going to get booed off the stage is what he thought the reception was going to be. Wow. And so he even told his wife uh, not to come to the premiere because he's like, I like this could go terribly. And if it does, I don't want you to get shamed for it either. Oh, like, I just want wow. this to be on my shoulders, my burden. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it wasn't. He wasn't booed off the stage. It was actually, um, people actually really enjoyed it, really loved it. Um, and it, he was the first person to really bring the tube into the spotlight to say like, hey. Well, it's a good thing that we thing, can do it went well. Right? Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> then you would have no more solos for the yes. tuba that had gone so poorly. But it's just so funny to me that this, that mindset of like, you can't do it. And like, just this negative mindset that we get. I think just kind of in general with a lot of different things, not just obviously music and tuba, but you know, there's so many of these like stereotypes that we were born with and that we, we grow up with. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we believe them. We're like, yeah, no, I'm a tuba player. 
I can't play those notes. I can't play that high. I can't oh, play that fast. Because uh-huh. that's what everyone tells you. Um, or, you know, it's even like going as far as like, you know, obviously it's a little better now, but like women in like, you know, the engineering, the science, the maths, they're, right, yeah. you know, told you don't do that. Yeah. Women that's don't the have the brain job. for yeah. it. Yeah. And so that's how they grow up thinking that. And I think that's like a big problem in our society is all these negative stereotypes and things that we just we learn and we teach our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they grow up believing in those limitations, even though there's really aren't those limitations. Um, and that, yeah, I just, I think it's just so funny that he did not, was like scared to death to do this, didn't want to do it at all. And like, if he hadn't done it, like our world would be so different for tubas, euphoniums. Yeah. Yeah. You'd just be stuck in the background, just being, yeah. just being the low note. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he really brought rise to a bunch of other great tubists, um, after him that once he performed it, uh, other composers were like, Hey, maybe I should write something for the tuba. Uh, uh And so a lot of pieces came out pretty, pretty quickly after, um, and which really just broadened the horizons and a lot of other players got the confidence to start actually playing solos and concertos. And it was kind of becoming a little bit more normal, but obviously most people still don't realize the tuba's a solo instrument or can be even to this day. Um, and it's just like kind of getting that awareness out there. You know, I didn't really know it was done either mm-hmm. until uh, I moved here to Moscow and the U of I has tuba ween. Yep, tuba ween. Every Halloween and uh, lots of fun, but you get to go and you see the uh, the solos and the, um, what, what 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 is it about basically that that's done? It's the for the tuba and euphonium sections? Uh, the tuba euphonium ensemble? Yeah, well, I mean, like they, they're basically doing solos and um, what else are they doing there? And Yeah, so they do solos. We do some like duets and trios sometimes mm-hmm. or like tuba euphonium quartet, mm-hmm. um, which is tuba euphonium's two tubas. There's a lot of pieces written for that. Yeah. And then like for this year, for tuba ween, we actually partnered up with the trombones just because our, unfortunately, our tuba euphonium studios kind of was getting a little bit smaller this year. Um, there's been a lot of change, changeover and um, professors and things like that, which always kind of makes it weird to get new students in. Um, and so we, we partnered up with the trombones and just did a whole like low brass recital um, for tuba ween. And so we had a big low brass, all, all the tubas, euphoniums, and trombones all playing together, big brass choral music, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. And then, um, so you came by, so you get out of high school mm-hmm. and, uh, then you, so what, then you go to college as, how do you, how do you, then you go to college uh, on a tuba scholarship yeah. or what'd you do? How'd you, what, what brought you to, how'd you go? What's the transition there, I guess? Yeah. So, um, I originally kind of had it in this idea that, uh, I was going to be, I wanted to be an electrical engineer for a little while. Um, my, one of my, my middle sister, uh, she's an aerospace engineer for the air force way ridiculous smart <laughs> yeah um but you know engineering was kind of the thing that like everyone seemed to want to gravitate towards and mm. you know i was always told by a lot of my like other teachers that like you know you can't music isn't gonna pay anything you can't do music oh, like so many people told that mm-hmm. yeah. and so i was like well maybe engineering and i can like maybe double major in music and engineering well the richest people on the planet some of our our musicians yeah exactly Come like yeah. I have a, look at that CD rack behind you. I mean, come on. Look at anybody's phone. How much music right. is on there? Right. So go on. I'm uh, sorry. No, you're good. Um, 
And so as I was going around to do uh, auditions for different schools, um, I knew I wanted to stay in, in Washington because I knew that um, I had always, um, like I knew I wanted to kind of stay close to home. And so uh, I auditioned for Eastern Washington University and Wazoo. Actually, I came down. At, this was like my junior year of high school. Um, so this was a little bit before I had like done some of the real like solo ensemble stuff my senior year that like really got me invested into tuba. Um, but so I started doing those auditions and that's when Chris Dickey over at Wazoo, he was actually the one who told me like, Hey, you should start doing lessons before you come to college. Um, but I really, I actually really fell in love with Eastern's uh, music department and just their faculty and everything was just like a family. Um, I walked in and uh, Patrick Winters, who's the director at the time, just took out like an entire like day of his schedule. Basically he was just like, Hey, like, let me show you around. Let me answer all these questions. Like come sit in on the wind ensemble, come sit in on this group. Like come watch this group. Like, let me give you a full campus tour. Let me go buy you dinner. And I was like, man, wow. this is like wine and dine. <laughs> yeah, wow. They really wanted you. Yeah. Sounds like, and they don't do that for everybody. No, man. they don't. <laughs> but it was like, as I was walking through the halls, carrying my tuba, you know, a bunch of the students were also like, Oh, are you going to like, are you auditioning? Are you going to come play here next year? And I was like, well, I still got a couple of years, but, um, it was just such a really cool experience. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up junior year visiting my sister while she was still in college at, um, uh, uh, uh Embry riddle aeronautical university down in Prescott, Arizona huh. is where okay. she went. Um, and I visited her and got to sit in on a bunch of like college level engineering classes. And I just realized like, Oh, this is too much. Music for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I thought I could handle this, but I think this is more of a hobby to like mess with computers and other things. Like, I don't think I could do this full time. Yeah. This is too much, too much mental, like science math for me. Yeah. And so that's when I, yeah, coming back my senior year, started doing lessons um, and ensembles, like I'd said. And that's when I really like fell in love with it. I was like, yeah, this is for me, music. And um, I'd kind of decided at that point, like I wanted to uh, teach at a university level was kind of my end goal. So I knew that I was wanted to go get my master's eventually. Um, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to stay in state um, oh, yeah, was because yeah. I knew that with my tuition, master's, yeah, yeah, with my master's, I'd probably go out of state. So uh, I went over to Eastern Washington University and did my full audition over there. Um, and that ended up actually being the only place I truly auditioned for was Eastern because I just loved it so much. But they, I got a p- pretty big scholarship for tuba. Um, talking with some of so the other, so badass, I dude. <laughs> that is really badass. Think it just it just blows my mind. Really, you got a a, a nice scholarship for tuba. Yeah, I mean that's just cool. Talk, Go Eastern. <laughs> talking with a lot of my other uh, music friends over at Eastern, I come to find out that. I like. I think I had one of the largest scholarships out of everybody. Interesting. I was like one of the only tubas. So they. That's the nice thing with playing an instrument that nobody really plays is you're needed. Uh huh. Um, and so they'll pay and an a extra. Good, yeah, yeah. And, then, and because like you're saying, you know, the tuba, the low notes are mm-hmm. the base of everything. You have a good one. You're hopefully you're uh, the rest of the ensemble. Is yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, due to that scholarship and then just like my grade scholarship from my school, I actually got pretty much got my undergrad almost completely paid for. Oh, dude. Good just out of scholarships and like a grant. So I think by the end of it, I only owed like maybe like $1,000 or so, like not much. Yeah, that's um, nothing. 
And then for college anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like a books for a semester. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I went in originally as a double major in music education and performance. Oh dude, that's that you're going to be there forever. Yeah. So I was there. That's like, a, that's a, that's a, and they're on the quarter system there too. Yeah. They're they? on the quarter system. Isn't that like a hundred degree or uh, pardon me. <clears throat> isn't that like a hundred credits or something? Yeah. It's, it's massive. It's a five year program. Yeah. And it's like a stacked five year program. Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not like that, but okay. I'm going to complain a little bit because, <laughs> well, and, and, and but I'm on your side. I'm on the musician's side because I know I went to school. I hung out with a lot of um, musicians and a lot of uh, people in the music program, a lot of jazz students. Mm-hmm. And they all wanted to go into be uh, performance and teach. Well, dude, I mean, those that's really, seriously, isn't that like 100 credits? Yes. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. And, there, and not only that, but music classes are like three credits. Oh, if that. If you're, you're lucky to get three credits. Yeah. Half of mine were like one or two. Yeah, and then- I was the, taking like 19 classes, and I was like still at like 13 credits. <laughs> it's like, what is this? True, <laughs> this is true. And and not only that, but those classes require you to work almost every day on them. Yeah. For hours to, mm-hmm. to, to practice. And, oh. Grr. Yeah, it's, Yeah. Got to change that. How do you change that? I, I mean, that's I don't know. <laughs> but it and then you go into teaching, rough. and so you're not going to make a ton of money, mm-hmm. you know. And then oh, oh for five year, well, yeah, right. okay. And my uh, my other rant big over. Well, <laughs> uh, now it's my turn to rant okay go ahead. about this whole system because at least I know other schools are much better at it, but unfortunately with Eastern, like their education department is incredible. If you are in the the normal education of like your math english history science Mm. if you're anything outside of that garbage because they make you like so when i was in these education programs like we didn't really have much classes for true music education i had to take all these general ed classes that were like oh use all the like the core standards which are only like math history science english were all you could use but you had to make lesson plans based off of those standards you're like i I can't, like, I guess I could equate the, like, the English standards of reading to being able to read music, maybe, or, like, knowing the history of pieces for that, but there are so many just, like, hoops you had to jump through just to do it, and pretty much (laughs) what one of my teachers ended up telling me, but then he's like, yeah, just make something up for that, like, I don't really care. It's like, okay, great, so I'm not learning anything from this, and it just, like, it was rough, um. I ended up actually dropping music ed uh, from my degree because I just could not handle the education system up there because mm. it just was not good for any of the like the arts or even like PE or anything like that. Um, you just didn't you didn't learn the correct things. Like you maybe had one class in all those five years that actually taught you how to teach music. And wow. Yeah, so I, I ended up getting starting my observations. And when was this? So you have a time frame. When was when uh, you So in this would have been, oh, this would have been like halfway through my fourth year of college. Year? Um, so senior year. No, no, like or, what year? Like Oh, um, this would have been 2017. Okay, so not that long ago. No, I graduated in um, 2018. Okay. So I'm... Because I went straight from my undergrad to master's. So I'm only, I'm 26, or 25, sorry. Turned 26 in September. Um, But, yeah, so I went straight from high school to college, straight down to here. But, um, 
yeah, so around 2017-ish, I had started getting into some of my observations at the local elementary school, and they started me off in elementary, which, like, is kind of one of the roughest places to start for music, because unless you are just, like, incredible with kids, which, unfortunately, I am not necessarily, (laughs) Yeah. but just the way that you have to teach and do all these things is just Mm -hmm. very very different yeah and i had really wanted to be more if i was going to teach i want to do more high school or above like really ultimately my goal was to be you know university professor like i had said um kind of adjunct just kind of focusing on lessons and um really like the one-on-one individual instructions because that's what i really enjoyed or like working with like to be funny ensemble quartet things like that um but i was going to do get my ed degree to just have a backup just in case that didn't work um but I hadn't had any real classes on how to teach elementary music when I got thrown into teaching elementary music. And my teacher, my like major uh, master teacher, I think is what they're called, hmm. basically, which was the, the main teacher of the elementary school who was teaching me. Oh, yeah. Like observing Trying to guide me. you yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was a great guy, but didn't really know what he was doing either. And so it just made it even harder for me. And some of, like, the standards and stuff that I was supposed to be doing for all my classes, he didn't really understand or, like, do either. And so it just made my classes hard. I was just not enjoying being in front of the classroom like that. I lasted, I think, like, two and a half weeks of observations. And then I said, yeah, this is not for me. Like, if I end up in this system, I'm going to be one of those teachers that just hates their job and i don't want to be that no no nobody (laughs) really wants nobody wants those teachers and if you are at that point you shouldn't teach um yeah but there's a lot of people that hate their job yeah there are um but so i i end up dropping the ed from my degree um but unfortunately i because i dropped it so late um i couldn't finish within that four-year period so i still ended up being there for five years so i finished that final fall quarter of my fifth year, so in um, 20, I guess the fall of 2017 um, uh, is when I technically finished my degree, but I was like, well, I'm kind of stuck here anyway, like, I could go back home, but there's really no music opportunities there for me, so I decided to just be part-time for the last two quarters up at Eastern before graduating, Um, and then, and I'd started doing all my master's programs auditions as well during that time, and that's when I stumbled on uh, University of Idaho down here. Um, my professor up at Eastern, uh, Skylar Johnson, um, he was teaching down here, teaching euphonium down here as well as teaching to be euphonium up at Eastern. And oh wow! And then okay. he taught at like the Spokane Falls Community College for a bit too, and basically teaching all over the place. Yeah, well, um, at least you know there it's a, a fairly straight shoot between yeah. Moscow and Spokane. It's what hour and a half drive or so. So, yeah. you know, it's not terrible, but still that's a, that's a distance to go. You know? But that's, that's kind of, you know, how it, how it ends up being in the more like adjunct professor world. Uh, um, you just kind of got to take as many jobs as you can. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he was teaching down here at the time. Um, and he was like, oh, why don't you come down here and check it out? I was like, okay. So I did. And, um, thankfully I also, uh, for my senior recital, I was playing, it's the Hindemith tuba sonata. And Hindemith, if you don't know, is famous for being terrible to pianists, to piano oh, really? play, to your accompanists, and 
pretty much all of the Hindemith solos that because he wrote one for every instrument. The piano parts are harder than the solos themselves. Oh. And so, so you got somebody who's just trying to help you out being a piano. Right. And, and play along. So as soon as you mention Hindemith to any accompaniments, they're always like, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I asked like 11 different people in the Spokane, Cheney area. And one of them, only one of them said they could actually play it, but they were too busy. <laughs> and so I, I ended up not only coming down here to visit school, but there was an accompanist. Her name's Catherine Anderson that uh, is in the area um, who is absolutely phenomenal. And I called her up and I was like, hey, you know, Skylar, my professor told me to call you. And is there any chance you can play Hindemith? And she's like, oh, yeah, like I can pick that up pretty quickly. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you, I love you. Right? Yeah. And so I ended up, I started coming down to Moscow quite a bit to just rehearse with her. Um, and then like, and she would come up to Eastern every now and then to rehearse with me too. But um as I started coming down here, I would rehearse with her, and then I would meet with uh, Dr. Tori Lawrence, who was the tuba professor at the time hmm. here. And um, I really just fell in love with Moscow and um, especially the university. And Dr. Tori Lawrence was kind of really my – he was the guy, like, oh, I just fell in love with his his teachings, his pedagogy, like everything lined up with everything that I believed, mm-hmm. um, even to the point of, like, what tubas he played. So – you were asking me a little bit as we were coming in and I was carrying my tuba and it's like, yeah, and you know, I have to carry two of these around normally. And you're asking me why, um, on a little side tangent. Uh, so there's actually four different types of tubas, four different keys. Hmm. So you have your contrabass tubas, which are typically in C and B flat. And then your, uh, con- or bass tubas, which are E flat and F. And the standard for kind of more of the U S and, um, is, uh, C and F as your two tubas. Uh, I happen to play C and E flat. Well, cause like over in Europe, it's B flat and E flat. Um, and it's really like, there's a little bit of a difference here and there between like timbre wise. Um, and like I chose E flat because for me, it really kept that bass, like tuba sound mm-hmm. while an F tuba sometimes gets a little more sounding like a euphonium, just higher timbre and whatnot than I really wanted. Cause I wanted to sound like a tuba. Mm. And that's what one of my, uh, older professors when I first started, when I first got my tuba, wanted me to get E flat. Uh, Danny Helseth, who's now over at the um, University, or is it Seattle Pacific University? Is where he is, hmm. I think. Um, and teaching over there, but he he wanted me to get E flat because he wanted the tuba sound as well. So I picked up that, and uh, a lot of other teachers in the U.S. like. It's just C and F. And there's a lot of people that um, you study with that are like, oh, if you come study with me, you have to play C and F. Like they don't allow any other, you can't play E flat or B flat or whatever. Um, But Dr. Lawrence played E flat as well because of the same reasons. He wanted to keep that bass tuba sound. um, And he, he felt that it just fit better with most ensembles, especially like for like quintets and quartets and things like that. Uh, rather than having the F, because the F sometimes just got a little bit too bright. Hmm. And um, But he was one of the only people in the area that had that same value system. So it was that was one of the big key points. Uh, but I also auditioned for uh, University of Memphis and uh, University of Athens in Georgia, um, were my other two big schools. I was going to... Uh, it's going to apply to University of Oregon as well with Mike Gross, who's incredible over there, but um, they didn't have any openings for uh, um, 
TA positions. Hmm. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get a TA position because uh, then you Pay can a get it. money. Yeah, you can get it fully funded if you're lucky. Cross um, your fingers. Yeah. Right. So I was lucky enough once I did all my auditions and applications, um, I got accepted to, I got accepted to all three schools, but, um, Athens, Georgia didn't, they ended up not having, um, a TA position because they had a doctoral candidate come in who took that. Mm. Um, and then Memphis was, they offered me a TA position, but with, so they'd pay all my schooling and then give me a stipend on top of that, which their stipend was about like $8,000 or so. But uh, then a what a semester or uh, a year. Oh, so a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like basically what you'd live off of. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it's nice to have something, but you know, especially yeah. over in Memphis, it's not that much. Yeah. Um, and then here they ended up offering me like almost double that for my stipend and everything. So that was like the huge, um, the final just like nail is like, yeah, I'm down, I'm going down to Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> um, which has been a blast. Unfortunately, I found out uh, like the summer after I'd signed all the contracts and everything, summer before coming down, uh, Dr. Lawrence gave me a call and was like, hey, just so you know, I'm now the vice provost of faculty. I'm not going to be teaching to be phonium. Oh, man. You got to be kidding me. Like you were the main reason why I came down here. Um, but Skylar Johnson, who was my professor at Eastern, ended up just kind of taking over full time uh, last year. Oh, cool. so I got to just study with him again, which was a lot of fun. He was he's a fantastic teacher. He plays uh, bass trombone for the Spokane Symphony, hmm. um, and he's a monster of a player. Um, but so I got to study with him for a year, and then, like I had said before, we had some change in professorship. Um, this year, I am so fortunate enough. Uh, our professor uh, Mark Thiel. It's coming from the President's Own Marine Band, which is like arguably one of the best bands, if not the best band in the world. He played with them for like 22 years, I think, 22, 23 years. And he is ridiculous. <laughs> he is one of the best players I have ever heard. So he just plays, he's just tuba or what does he all yeah. teach other brass instruments? Uh, tuba and euphonium okay. is his main. And then he's also the director of band. So he's now running like the wind ensemble and things like that. Wow. Um but he, like, when he picks up his horn, it just, like, sings through that. And he doesn't sound like a tuba. It's just, like, he's just, it's just beautiful. It's, like, really hard to describe his sound. But, um, and then somehow, in my opinion, his teaching's even better than his playing. And I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> but, like. Oh, uh, so you got lucky. I like. got incredibly lucky. I don't know how he ended up in Moscow, Idaho. But we are so fortunate at yeah. the university to have someone like him. Yeah. Because he is going to just bring this the music department to a whole new level. Wow. He's he's very intense to work with. And like he's not afraid to, to call you out on your, your BS or when you're not when you're not playing something right or doing something. He'll mm-hmm. he'll raise his voice. He he never says anything like angrily, but he he likes to shout. He likes to be loud and that's his personality. Huh. And it's been it's been it's been a little a little weird to get used to. My yeah. last few professors were just kind of really relaxed, really chilled out, and then he's just like in your face, like, <laughs> no, you, like why are you slurring that? You got to do this and do that, and, rah, and you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but he's like my plane has increased like exponentially this year working with him, which has just been so much fun. Good. And so it's yeah, he's. 
I'm so fortunate to be down here and I'm so glad I came to Moscow. I love it here. And then to get to work with someone of his caliber, like you don't find that very often. Yeah, dude. And, and I, it just still blows me away, dude. It's, it's the tuba, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's It's the the, tuba. It's the tuba. You know, it's like the, the instrument that people forget. Exactly. You know, and, uh, here you come down here and you just start rocking it. (laughs) Now, so what, but you know, I've, I was thinking too, like questions to ask and of what, Besides the uh, uh, orchestras, and there's a lot of tuba in like um, Dixieland music, mm-hmm. also um, especially in uh, music from New Orleans. Yeah, a lot of jazz groups. I think it, yeah, it's very fundamental in a lot of original jazz groups, especially yeah. in, from that area. Do you, do you play in that at all? Do you get to do the jazz or just basically orchestral? Um, I've done a little bit of like jazz things. I actually played. Got the opportunity to go up to um, Spokane last year and play in a, I got a jazz tuba gig, which is my first one that I'd ever done, kind of out of the blue. Mm-hmm. It was one of my professors up at Eastern recommended me to the guy. Um, so I got to do that because it was a part that was actually written for tuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, but up in, I've noticed up in this area with the, the Northwest, you don't really see Dixieland jazz tuba that much. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't had that much opportunity to play like that. The most I would say that I've gotten to do was uh, at Eastern, there's a band called Code Red. Um, and that was the like premier basketball band, basically. Oh, fuck. Okay. And it was like an audition based band. Really? It was arguably the most like competitive band at Eastern. Huh. Because it was made up, they had a very set, limited number of people that could be in it. Um, and Small, tight. Yeah. It was short, like, like short pieces, but loud. Like, yeah, very loud. And they were all like originals that we had composed ourselves oh, really? and arranged. I can see why um, this would be tough to get into. And we got paid a hundred bucks a game for every basketball game. My yeah. God, what? And um, basically if you... And there's a lot of basketball games. Yeah, there are. And we did men's, women's, and then even volleyball. Yeah, paid a hundred bucks for every game. And there were like the university some only had us at a certain amount of games. But for a while, there was a guy that just loved us so much, wanted us to be at every game, that he basically paid us separately just to be there. He donated like forty, fifty thousand dollars something like that, just to pay us to be at every game. It's nice. God, I mean, that's the reason to be rich right there. Mm-hmm, you know, right. Was just so you can give your money to things that you appreciate, yeah. you know, instead of not just to have all the nice things, but, you know, you want to donate some money to the things, the causes that you love. Have fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, love you, dude. <laughs> but yeah, with that band, like, uh, even if they necessarily needed a, a certain player for, like, you know, trumpet, clarinet, whatever it was, um, if you weren't good enough on the instrument, they just said, "Well, we don't have that this year," because like it didn't matter what instruments they had; they just oh, you just had to be good enough. I see. Um, and I ended up being the first sousaphone, so the marching tubas is what I played. I've ended up being the first tuba player to ever get into Code Red. Ha, <laughs> knuckles, yeah, fun. man. Um, but we played, we played a lot of like, like kind of jazzier stuff or like big band stuff, kind of um, that I get to play on tuba. So that's probably been like my main experience with it. Uh-huh. But it's something I definitely love to get into. I'd love to go down to like New Orleans area and just play that kind of music yeah it'd be so much fun but yeah you don't get that many opportunities up here yeah the, the, i think the if you're gonna go down there and play you gotta you gotta know how to swing yeah for sure yeah if you can't get that swing rhythm you know just a little bit behind the beat you know, yeah you know there's yeah that makes a huge difference but but i will say orchestrally like that's really the sound that i enjoy the most 
is the orchestra. Uh huh. Um, it's like I don't, I don't mind jazz for the most part. There's some jazz I'm not a big fan of, like some like the slower or like the really like free form kind of jazz and that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a big fan but of like that. the big band, like Dixieland stuff. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like for me, nothing beats the power of just like an orchestral brass section on just like the things we get to play and just like oh, the intensity of it. Well, who's uh, like, who do you like to play in an orchestra? Like what has some, you know, the best, uh, um, uh, tuba parts uh, um, that you like? So we talked Wagner, um, some incredible low brass parts are just fun. Lots of really like choral parts as well. Mahler, Mahler does some really beautiful um, chorales with just the trombones and the tubas. Okay, when I think chorale, mm-hmm. I always think of like it's uh, voices. Mm-hmm. So what is a chorale with instruments? So it's basically the same idea, but um, using the instruments instead. So it's just a very a very like softer, slower, just chord rich, heavy, hmm. um, just utilizing the trombones and the tuba. So it's kind of like a would essentially be like a, a like a men's choir kind of a sound mm-hmm. is what you're imitating, but through through your instruments. Cool. Now you did bring your your tuba. Do you want to play something, or is there something you wanted to play or like to demonstrate? Uh, yeah, I can play something. Um, Bust it out. I do my music's in the other room. Okay, good. Well, yeah, good. Take good. Do what you got to do. <laughs> This is what's great about uh, recording stuff. We can just pause it. You think you're good to go? Yeah. Okay. So, what are you gonna what are you gonna play? What are you gonna do here? Uh, so, this uh, first thing that I play is a. Uh... It's called Ordner Seg, which is Norwegian for It'll Be All Right, <laughs> written by uh, Oysten Bonsvik. Oysten? Oysten Bonsvik. Bonsvik. Good old Oysten. I'll just play a little bit of this. Okay.
Nice, dude. You got a really nice tone. Thank you. I mean, you know, there's a there's kind of a, a warmness to that. That uh, here, let's, uh, let's yeah, just grab it and pull it. You just yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got it. So how do you get that? Because normally, you know, when I when I think of tuba and things, it's more like a um, mm, mm, yeah, like that really almost staccato type sound. And then here you kind of get a, uh, you know, there's a little vibrato in there as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so that really comes from um, a lot of just control over your your wind, um, hmm. which we like to say wind instead of air, because um, air is stagnant, wind is moving. Ah. Um, and so when you're when you're teaching young students for like brass or really any wind instrument. Um, oh yeah, and they're called wind instruments. Yeah, yeah. right. I when see. You use air. It's just like we want to you know use words that convey what is actually happening. So it's wind. Um, so it's really having a lot of control over your wind, um, and having a nice open, relaxed armature, which is basically the shape of your mouth for the instrument. Um, and then it's just a lot of a lot of listening to other players and to just like other sounds uh-huh. and um, trying to imitate that in a way. Uh, one of the big, so one of the big uh, pedagogues that I listen to and love is uh, his name's Arnold Jacobs. Um, and he was one of the greatest tuba pedagogue um, of, of the time. Okay. What is a pedagogue? Uh, pedagogue. Is, pedagogy. So pedagogy is basically yeah. like the teachings of a specific Oh, um, okay. Specific thing. So, I for see. instance, like tuba, you can be a, the pedagogy of like English or you know whatever, any sort of um, anything really. But, oh, okay. So, a pedagogue is just somebody who is well known for their pedagogy. Huh. So, okay. Arnold Jacobs is very well known for his teachings on brass and, in particular, tuba. And one thing he always says is, uh, he well, he did say, um, was it's all about song and wind. Um, in, you need to imagine the sound in your head of what you want to sound like, and then you let the body do the rest. Huh. It's basically the brain is way more powerful than we give it credit. And so, you know, you, you're not having to f- focus so much on like the fundamentals of, you know, oh, for this note, my mouth needs to be this tight and I need to push this much air and blah, blah, blah. Right. You just think yeah. these are the notes I'm going to play. Like my body knows how to do that. Um, and so it's really just having that core sound in your head as yeah, well uh-huh. and just knowing where it, every, all the notes are, how you want it to sound, and then just allowing your body and your brain to do it naturally. Huh. Sounds easier than... <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Look, and you've been playing this instrument for what? Uh, uh, like 13 years now. Oh, geez. Yeah. So yeah, and you are you're almost a master at it, right? Almost, yeah, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> but you don't have to get a master's degree to be a master at it, though. Right? No, you don't. Yeah. How many hours of would you say you have in that instrument? Oh man, ah, uh, that's a. Whew. It like thousands upon thousands. I mean, I usually practice. Uh, I try to practice at least four hours a day, so yeah. Four hours a day—that's uh, that's like you know close tens to, of thousands. I don't know. Yeah, it's sixteen. <laughs> if you just think of every day of the year, which yeah. is not—you're not practicing every day of the year, but you know um, that's uh, almost sixteen hundred. 
Yeah. In a year. And times I've been doing that for at least four or five years. Yeah, wow. Not to count, like, all the ensemble time that I play and oh, geez, all the other groups. Yeah, right. And, like... That's, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way too many hours. Wow. To <laughs> wow. I'm trying to think if I've done anything. Yeah, go ahead and move the mic if you need to. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I've done anything for tens of thousands of hours. You know, I probably have, you know, what's that What's that song, you know, with that, that thing about Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, right? Something like that. Yeah. To be, become a really proficient at something. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I may, I probably have that in radio. I'm probably pushing that. Probably. Yeah. But man, wow. The tuba. It's still, it, 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 it's just, you know, it seems almost silly. I don't, I'm not trying to make light of it, but you know, in the, in my mind, it's like, you know, it's the tuba, but you know, uh, uh, like anything, people take it professionally. Now that you had something that you had on your lap, what is that thing? Yeah. So this is a, so it's a sticky pad is what oh. the brand is. Um, and what it's oh. used for, it's like. It's kind of a rubbery. Yeah. It's a rubber sticky pad. Yeah. Um, they're originally designed to stick on like your dashboard. For like your phone, keys, whatever. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't slide around in the car. Yeah. Um, it does say handstands.com. Yeah, handstands, sticky pad. So you put that on your lap. Yeah, so I put that on my lap. And what uh, that uh, does is it keeps the tuba from sliding. Oh, and then you put the tuba on that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, right. Because it allows you to basically, you know, when I when I put it on my lap, I can sit there, not have to really even hold the instrument. Yeah. And it won't move, it won't slide. Um, so it really releases... A lot of the tension that you can get in your plane, it makes you able to oh, relax. Oh yeah, because you're not really just trying to hold yeah. the instrument. In the, uh, yeah, and you know, um, what well, we all say, tension kills tone. Oh, so if you, you know, have, that's true. That's because you know, I know in uh, working in, excuse me, working in broadcast and using a microphone a lot, I know if that I am tense. Like my, you know, if I tense up my voice mm-hmm. a little bit, you get a little bit higher like this, then pretty soon you're starting to strain because yep. you just, and your voice is not as relaxed, not as comforting, not as warm. So I bet the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So same thing. So that's, you know, part of the sound as well. Well, that's going to be difficult when you go in for auditions. Because oh, you're, yeah. like, you're like, when you're nervous relax, and deep breaths. Right? Oh. Yeah. For me, what I, I get the issue where my leg shakes. Oh, so, I bet. Yeah. And it's the leg that my tuba happens to sit on. <laughs> and so I've definitely had I've definitely uh, had times yeah. uh in in my undergrad once I remember I played a solo for my the director Patrick Winters for auditions mm-hmm. in a wind mm-hmm. ensemble. And my leg was shaking super bad and at the end of playing he goes I really love that vibrato. Ah, yeah. <laughs> but all it was was just me shaking out of nerves. But it was like, I guess that's a vibrato. <laughs> Not the correct form to do breath vibrato, but. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. So how do you, like, how does, how does someone get into playing a tuba? I mean. I mean. Honestly, yeah, school is like the the biggest thing uh-huh. um, to get into. Most schools at least have a tuba. Uh, unfortunately, what a lot of directors end up doing is they just put their like their biggest kid on tuba, or like their the kid that is overplaying trump overplaying trumpet or something like that. They're like, ah, you're pushing enough air and sound out of there. Why don't you just play tuba instead? Um, but you know, really. Like that's the best way to get into tuba if that's what you wanted to do is in the band programs, but um, obviously like just taking lessons, doing things like that. Like there's a bunch of community bands and there's opportunities all over the place, but 
Um, unfortunately, some of the tubas that grow up in the band programs don't necessarily want to do it. They're just kind of forced on it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of rare to find people that truly want to play it. No, so like when I see like marching bands, mm-hmm. usually at, no, the big thing with the bell, that's a, a, that's su- a sousaphone. sousaphone. And so because you don't see a tuba very much, you don't see them in marching bands. It'd just yeah. be too heavy to carry, right? So you'd have the sousaphone? Uh, well, what it is, it's more about the direction of the sound. So uh, sousaphones, because their bell is there and it's facing outwards, um, it's more directional than if you were to march with this, your sound's going straight up in the air. I Nobody's see. really going to okay, hear you. Yeah. Um, but for like in the concert halls, that's why you want a more concert tuba like this because you want the sound to go up and broadcast, basically like shadow over the orchestra to huh. support it, mm-hmm. and you want to ah. be able to project over everything. Um, so like uh, when you're sitting in halls, my favorite place to be if they have a balcony, is to be up on the balcony because that's where the horn's going to go. That's where the sound is going is straight up. Oh, um, but you know you don't want that in a marching band because then nobody's going to hear it. <laughs> But there's also um, contrabass marching tubas, which are, they basically look similar to a a concert horn like this, but you basically would take this entire instrument and put it up on one shoulder and play. So the bell is facing straight forward. Oh man, that's gotta be hard. And uh, it is. I, uh, so I marched DCI, which is uh, drum corps international. Um, So it's basically a marching band programming like for, I think like 15 to 21 is the age range. Um, and you you tour around the U.S. for about three and a half months uh, just performing these massive shows in front of thousands upon thousands of people. Um, and then we ended up, I uh, marched with Cascades Drum Bugle Corps, which are from out of the, uh, Washington. Huh. And uh-huh. we then competed in the world championships in Indianapolis, Indiana. Ooh, cool. In the, uh, in the, the, uh, the Colts Stadium. Whoa. Got to play there for like 30,000 people. Pretty crazy. But uh, I, so we had to march contrabass tubas and they're about 45 pounds. And um, the ones oh that we God. had. Man, that muscle right mm-hmm. there would just be so uh, sore. I have, I have like a lump, if you look, compared to my shoulders. Huh. There's a little bit of a lump because of I playing that. And that's where the sousaphone rests as well. Uh. And it's, oh. But um, <laughs> when you're not playing, you have to hold it down in front of you. And so you're, you're picking it up pretty much, you know, like, like that. Yeah. And they want you to be two fifths away, bell down. And you're just here with 45 pounds out for who knows how long until you then just have to throw it back up on your shoulder, play and throw it down and throw it up and throw it down. And it's, it's a workout. Wow, dude. Good thing you had all those uh, gymnastics exercises. Uh, That's what I thought when I first started (laughs) doing it. And then I come to find out, uh, no, it was not. Um, it's weird. It uses such weird muscles that you almost never use that like, even with my, you know, I was pretty confident going in. I was like, yeah, you know, at that time with all my gymnastics and that, like I could bench more than my weight and things like that. Like I was a, I was a strong kid. I was like, I'll be fine. Got to the, the camp, the first camp, went to pick up the horn, could hold it for like five seconds, maybe. It's like, why is this so hard? Yeah. (laughs) And what it is, it's, it's not the biceps. It's. There's like weird muscles within your wrists and your like forearms that you never use, mm. and it doesn't when you're take holding out of <laughs> basically, huh. and and like it doesn't take a lot of muscle to really hold that up there once you got those wrist ones. But building them takes a long time. Mm. But it is one of those things that like once you have it, you're good to go. Um, 
So it's been really fun. Once I got back from drum corps and doing the whole summer of holding that thing, um, you know, I was, we would do what we would call circle of death <laughs> and we would sit around basically we put like five minutes on the clock and you'd hold it out here for like 30 seconds. Then you'd go up 30 seconds, then down 30 seconds, up 30 seconds, down 30 seconds. And then we'd also incorporate straight arm uh, and, uh, they call it Boston, which is where elbows all the way up when you're trying to hold it out there. And you do that all for five minutes straight without like any breaks. Wow. And they made us do that from day one. And then by the end of camp, we were doing like 10 to 15 minutes of that. Cool. Um, That's good, but it sounds horrible. Good. It was terrible. <laughs> it's but, not called Circle of Death because it's a joy. Right? It's not called like Circle of Tickle or <laughs> Circle of Friendship. <laughs> uh, but coming back, my band director in high school was mm-hmm. like, hey, you march these for the summer. Like, I'm going to buy some so we can use them in our marching band. I was like, great. And so then I had to teach... Uh, all the other tubas had to hold them and play them properly and ended up coaching our marching band for quite a few years. But it was a lot of fun to see. um, We'd get like a couple of our um, tubas were like football players and like big like athletes. Mm. And so they'd come in with the same kind of ideas that I had. Like, oh, I'm big, strong. This is not a problem. And you'd they'd pick it up for a couple seconds and just be shivering. And you're like, yeah. Yes, <laughs> know the pain, and and then I'd be able to just go pick up there and be like, all right, it's just you hold it like this, and you can like at that point like hold it with like one hand and be like, yeah, it's fine because it's not all that much muscle, but it's enough that you know most people don't have. But once you have it, it's like yeah, I can I can pick it up and hold it no problem even to this day. Yeah. So it was always a fun way to just kind of be like, yeah, I'd I'd always pick it up be like holding it with one hand and be like, yeah, so you want to grab like here, 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 as I'm just holding it casually just to show off a little bit yeah. to be like, yes, I am the dominant one. <laughs> I am your instructor. You should listen to me. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Good on you, man. <laughs> I can just see the guys on the tube. And I Eastern incorporate all these weird gymnastics, like workout exercises as well. Yeah in there so one of the big ones that i like to do flipping into the pit well not quite like that (laughs) um i call them plates and so basically what you do is you you go into a plank position and you put put your feet on a paper plate and then keeping a straight body you walk your hands oh yeah 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 and you go forward and backwards we'd go we do like five to the five on the football field to the five and back to the 10 and back 15 back and we do it I'd make him do it for 50 yards. Oh, man. Down and back. And like, it's, that's, it's brutal. That is hard. But it helps strengthen your wrists and all those muscles that you need to hold the, the instrument. But it was so much fun to also see those big, strong guys. Be, being a plank. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a full body workout. Yeah. It gets your abs, legs, like shoulders, Okay, chest. so you put your feet on plates mm-hmm. and then paper plates and then just move your hands. Just walk move your, your hands. Just walking. You gotta keep, yep. Gotta keep. Flat back, oh. straight legs. You can't like z- z- wiggle your legs yeah. back and forth. Keep your tight straight. butt. Keep yeah. that tight butt, man. Um, and so it's always fun to watch the the big strong guys do that, and they're like barely can barely do like ten yards. Yeah, like, that's hard, on. man. I mean, I wonder how many people listening right now can do a plank for a minute. I don't know. That's that's hard. I mean, <laughs> it is. You know, I, 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 that's one of my exercises is planking. I can do it for a, a few. You know, I haven't really tested to see how long <laughs> I can do it, but you know, I can do it for a few minutes. But, see, but still, yeah, that and then adding the movement of the arms, which is even more of your an arm exercise and shoulder exercise. 
<laughs> but I I tortured those kids. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that for again? Uh, this is for high school marching band. What um, high school? Tahoma High School, Tahoma Senior High School. <laughs> and we, I mean, they all they all knew that's what it took to hold that instrument. Um, and you know, I was thankfully I was able to bring the the tuba section really into a thing people wanted to do. There were like there were tryouts to be in my section. Yeah, um, which was really cool. And we got like in. We started doing a bunch of big competitions. My senior year of high school before I left was our first year of like really competing. And so then I got to teach all the subsequent years. Um, and uh, within that, like the first couple of years of me teaching it, like our highest scores were in the low brass and in our sound um, <laughs> and visuals with like basically the tubas were the number one section. So it was a real big accomplishment for me. But thankfully all the kids knew that like, you know, I wasn't just mean, like I, I did all the exercises with them, usually trying to be that more of like that role model, not just like the drill sergeant, but I uh, made sure it was, it was a fun, friendly environment, but I definitely whooped them into shape Yeah, because <laughs> that's just what you needed. If you were going to hold that thing and then be able to play that after doing all that, like it takes a lot. DCI is, it's a sport. Like, um, there's been some studies. DCI, I think you yeah. mentioned it before, but I forget. Drum what Corps International. Drum Corps International. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a big thing, especially back east and down south. There's cores every from pretty much every state um, over there, and all these like I said, world championships in Indianapolis, Indiana, every year, and it's a, it's a huge thing. Do you still compete in those, or do you? Do uh, it? No, since I'm I aged out, so you oh, can only do right. it up no. until 21. Okay. Um, but. Uh, I've lost my train of thought. So big down south and anything, uh, yeah, uh, hmm. DCI. Now, well, the uh, so is there anything like any competitions like that now that you go to or? Uh, unfortunately, not. Not really for where I'm at. Um, I'm hoping one day I'd love to to go back and be able to teach uh, DCI and be a coach. Yeah, have an actual like team for that, but. Um, We'll see in the future. Cool. Um, and so you still have like how much longer you, do you have for your master's? So assuming everything goes right, um, I should yeah. be uh, graduating in May, May 16th. So I'm the, just like, about done. Oh, yeah. oh, just like, okay. Like, yeah, we're doing, like recording this on, in March, March yeah, 8th. March. So. so in like two and a half months, roughly. Then what? Uh, so then I, I'm going to stay in Moscow for a while. Um, I want to keep studying with Mark Thiel, my new professor, because he's just incredible. Um, and I only get one real year with him. So I want to make sure I get at least another year. Um, and we're going to next year, him and I are basically just going to focus on orchestral excerpts and auditions. And so I'm just going to be auditioning for teaching positions as well as symphony orchestras. Um, and then continuing to work at Moscow Brewing Company. Aaron and I have been doing a lot of talking and um, we're hoping that I can start doing a little bit more on like the production side of things to help him out and actually be brewing and um, to kind of take over that a little bit. That way he can focus on sales and uh, distribution. Yeah. So I'm planning on, cause you know, aside from music, beer is my next biggest passion. Um, <laughs> you know, I love that. I've been a home brewer for, that was. that was my, it was my computer made a noise. I don't know what I did. Uh, I think I hit a button and it decided to make that. That's the, that's the, well, if I do, ah. no, that didn't work. Never mind. But I, I hit a button it didn't like. That's what I think. But I've been brewing Sorry. for like five years as well. 
Um, used to help out a brewery up in Cheney during my undergrad, and mm-hmm. so it's one of my other big passions, and um, I'm hoping I can do kind of a combination of that while I just start doing auditions, and then once something sticks, I go on from there. Yeah, but tuba is what you really want to focus on, right? Yeah, so ultimately. So do you want to get your PhD in the, in music, or? Um, eventually, I'll probably go for my PhD, but I'm going to, I need a couple years of a break. Going straight in from high school to undergrad to master's, like, I've been in school all my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need then, a couple years off. But you don't need a PhD to be a, to be in an orchestra, a no, professional orchestra. Not at all. Um, the only reason, like, for a PhD is if I wanted to be a full time professor, which right now I want to start off as more of an adjunct professor, which you just need a minimum of a master's for, um, or experience. Well, no, it's required to have a terminal degree unless you're doing like community college teaching. Um, oh, okay. So, you, but you could get a master's in teaching. That's like that'll take a year, I think. Yeah. Well, so you don't have to have a teaching degree. You no, just but, have you, to have. but I'm saying you can get a master's degree. Master's in teaching. Yeah, is basically the next step for uh, educators, and that at the, I know at WSU it's a year. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I'm just getting my master's so I can at least be an adjunct. Um, and the goal is typically what happens if you if you win an orchestral job. Then the local schools and like community colleges will come to you for teaching positions rather than you having to find them. Right. So that's kind of the ultimate goal is hopefully eventually um, with working with Mark and doing all these excerpts and just preparing for auditions. That's like all we're going to do. Who do you like? What uh, what uh, orchestra would you really like to? Uh, honestly, one of my dreams would actually be Spokane Symphony. Um, I know there would be a really great just like kind of starter entry level symphony um because they're not anything too crazy really? like i mean they're they're really good but um it definitely is on but the it's lower not side. like it's not like san francisco yeah, or, no or like chicago, chicago or like or... new yorkville or nothing like that or mm-hmm. like even seattle um as far as like pay and like prestige but the players at spokane symphony in my opinion are actually like better than seattle and some of the other big orchestras they are f- absolutely phenomenal i grew up uh, listening to them throughout my undergrad Pretty much went to every single concert the last five years. Yeah, because you're at uh, Eastern. That's in yeah. It's just outside of Spokane, or is it in Spokane? Uh, it's, it's just in outside. Cheney. It's in Cheney, so it's right. like twenty minutes out of Spokane. Yeah. But the the Spokane Symphony did a deal with um, all the Spokane Cheney schools, and even down here at U of I, um, that if you're a student, you can get a what's called a college card, um, and you pay thirty dollars. I think it is. It might be got raised to thirty five, but basically you can go to all ten classics concerts. So you get to basically go to every concert for like $3 a concert. So like nothing. If you can get up here. Yeah, go. So uh, I've been doing that the last like four or five years, which has been a blast. But um, a lot of most of my professors from Eastern play in the Spokane Symphony. And I know that Leonard Burns, who's the current Spokane, uh, the tubist, um, is probably going to be being done here in the next few years. Ready to retire or? Um, yeah. He's, uh-huh. he's getting a lot older. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, his playing is definitely kind of, you can tell it's going downhill a little bit. I um, mean, it was actually one of my, it was actually Skylar Johnson, my professor that told me, it's like, yeah, I'll give him a few more years and then I'm pretty, he's probably going to retire. Yeah. And so I'm kind of hoping that by the time that he retires, maybe I can be at that level to, be able to take that place because then I'd be I'd get to play with all basically all my old professors which I think would just be so much fun and then it'd be on equal terms mm-hmm. and uh, then it would just be a really great place to start 
orchestras if I wanted to go on to something bigger after that. But, you know, there's a lot of teaching opportunities in that area for um, colleges and jobs, which I could do. And um, I'd also hopefully be able to do some sort of brewing as well on the side. I'm, yeah, it's not like there's no breweries in Spokane. Know, right? Right? It's like every other block. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm pretty well connected with a lot of those breweries. Yeah. To where, like, there's probably a few that I could probably go into and get a job if I was in that area, uh, which would be a lot of fun to be able yeah. to do kind of that combination. Yeah, you've got experience. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping I can get brewing experience at Moscow to have something on, like, the resume for when, wherever I end up going after this because, you know, with an orchestral schedule, typically, like, you play, you really only rehearse, like, once or twice a week, mm-hmm. and then you just, like, play concerts on weekends. <laughs> and not too many concerts either, because there's a concert schedule, no. and it's a uh, and well, it's, it's usually it's in the winter time. It goes fall yeah. to spring, mm-hmm. like right about now is when they're doing their final concerts. Yeah. You know, March, April. And like depending on the symphony, it changes like just how many concerts they do. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not all that much. Um, and then same with like an adjunct teaching position. Like most places, you're only going in for like a day or two. Based on it, all depends on how many students you have. So there's a lot of other time, and I could. Use, I'm hoping that I can use some of that other time to be able to like brew or at least like bartend or do something with the beer industry because that's also such a growing market. Yeah, that would be Little a bit. great thing to be able to have access yeah. to and yeah. be able to do. And it's like I said, my other biggest passion. So hopefully, I can do just a combination of everything. You know, that's the dream. <laughs> well, I think you can do it. I mean. You're definitely smart enough. You've got a positive attitude, right? And yeah. I, you know, I like talking to you, so I think you'll do fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about this? Uh, anything uh, spit out there? Not sure. Do you have any other questions? Not really. I think that's pretty much. Okay, we're done. Most that guy. Yeah. All right, man. Well, good luck. You're gonna be. You're gonna do fine. Thank I mean, you. I, I, I have the best. I have the most positive outlook <laughs> for you, and I think you're gonna do just great. But uh, yeah, glad to have you here in Moscow. See you yeah. around the brewery. Yes, I will be there. Okay. Ah, uh, the best of luck to Mister Ben Price, man. I wish you well. Hope everything goes well for you. And uh, wow, isn't that interesting? Just talking about tuba and then all of those pursuits that are involved around an instrument. Very interesting. Uh, I enjoyed that conversation, and I enjoy you listening. Thank you very much. Like, share, subscribe, Tomversations, T-H-O-M-versations.com. And um, I think I'm done here. That's it. I wish you well. Hope your family and everybody is doing okay and that you're mentally okay. All right? Stick with it. Don't give up. And thanks again for listening. I'm Tom Cocaine, your host for Conversations. Over and out. <laughs>